Hello, and welcome to St. Paul's Letters to America. I am your host, Ray Gerard. It's my privilege to be your host with me today, which is also a privilege to have him here, Mr. Bob Henniges. Bob, how are you? Good to see you, Ray. Glad to be here. So, where uh, you know where where are you? What are you listening to? You're listening to St. Paul's Letters to America. And what is St. Paul's Letters to America? It's the program that asks, what if... St. Paul were alive today and wrote a letter to the Americans. What would he tell us? What would he think we need to hear? Well, if you wonder that, you're lucky. We're going to tell you. Um, And uh, when we do this, we always pick some writing from St. Paul and then apply it to what we have today. Because what he wrote before, he would write again today. That's how we know what St. Paul would tell us. Because the truth does not change. And St. Paul, commissioned by God on the road to Damascus, it's kind of a pretty pretty heavy-duty calling. But St. Paul um, did express the truth. That's why after 2,000 years, people still read him, analyze him, examine him, Wonder, you know, what exactly, you know, can you get to the core of his meanings? Uh, you know, if if you're not clued into the truth after 2,000 years, heck, after two years, uh, I don't think people are paying attention to you anymore. Anyways, um, so we, we picked one uh, of his writings, and uh, actually today we've got two. We're going to combine little pieces of two of his writings. Um, and we look at some issue in, our, in America today. You know, would St. Paul apply these principles, these truths that he expressed, would he apply them again to America today? If so, you know, if we do that, if we do what he would do, if we apply these things, can we see whether or not we are living in accordance with the truth? Are we living in a manner that's somehow inconsistent with the truth? And we explore this, hopefully, with a very open and objective mind and— and we also always keep a certain motto in mind, which is love and kindness, but through the light of truth. And today we've got a subject where that's going to be our task. It's going to tax tax us to fulfill that task. We're going to have to try to be um, as kind as we can as we go about examining the truth, because what we're going to talk about today are, are people that I firmly believe have you know good intentions in mind. But, you know, perhaps they're not, um, not perhaps, um, you know, I'll just say it, they're not being fair to everybody. They're not being loving to everybody. In trying to be loving to some, they're neglecting and discriminating against others. And what are we going to be talking about? We're talking about a couple of schools, a couple of private schools, uh, one in Missouri, one in Nevada. And um, they are a very... Conscious about um, race relations in our country today, they're very interested in in creating a society where everybody is non-discriminatory. That you know we do the best, um, that we live up to the highest standards with regard to treating people of different races and backgrounds equally. But in doing that. Um, we, uh, the people in these schools, uh, perhaps, as we'll examine, are being unfair to others. And uh, there's, like I said, there's a school in, in Missouri and a school in, uh, in Nevada, and we're going to take a look at that. And as we do, we're going to do it under 
um, a prism that we um, that we have the benefit of through a letter from St. Paul to the Americans, which is this. The aim of good instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some people have deviated from these and turned to meaningless talk, wanting to be teachers, but without understanding either what they are saying or what they assert with such assurance. And if you are confident that you are a guide to the blind and a light for those in darkness, that you are a trainer of the foolish and a teacher of the simple, because you have the formulation of knowledge and truth, then you who teach another, are you failing to teach yourself? So St. Paul has three qualifications for being a good teacher. First is love. Love from a pure heart. Now, when St. Paul talks about a pure heart, he means pure. Uh, it's hard, it's, it's very hard to live up to, to that standard. But, that, you know, if, if that's a goal that you keep in mind, well, then that, to a large measure, is enough. I mean, the first thing to do is to at least have that as your goal. Second is a good conscience. And then third, and importantly, is a sincere faith. For St. Paul, God was very much a reality. There's no doubt God is real. And we could talk about that at length, but boy, I would love to, you know, go toe-to-toe with anybody who wants to doubt that God is real. And that's why a sincere faith is one of the requirements for being a good teacher. If you're going to instruct other people, you have to be tuned into the ultimate reality. Otherwise, what are you teaching? So that's the standard. Those are the requirements. And if you're not living up to it, but you have this confidence um, that you can teach, then perhaps you're the one who needs to be taught. You know, Saint uh, not Saint. <laughs> he's uh, some people are are leading an effort to have him declared a saint, but he's not a saint yet. But anyways, Bishop, you know, Fulton Sheen. Uh, now I used to talk about the fact that. You know, to be a good teacher, you have to be humble. He told the, he would talk about the you know professors uh, in college who some professors he knew like well, I guess at least one, who had notes. He taught from notes that were yellow with age. He had the same notes for twenty five years, and uh, then there were other you know professors he talked about who would read from their notes. And he asked, you know, if that's all you're going to do, you know, why don't you just give your notes to the to the students, let them copy them instead of having you know, to, to voice them in a classroom and then have the students copy them all over again. Just give them the handwritten notes. Let them copy those. I mean, what, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with having the same notes for 25 years or teaching directly from your notes? The problem is there's no growth. There's no conversation. There's no discussion, no examination of the topics. The principal aim, and Bob, you can talk to this better than I can, um, but the principal aim of a teacher is to teach how to think. Um, you know, somebody asked Abraham Lincoln, again, you know, using uh, a story that uh, Bishop Sheen used. Um, you know, people asked, somebody asked Abraham Lincoln one time, why do you study so much? You study, study, study. Why do you study so much? All those books, all, these lear- all this learning, is that going to help you, you know, earn a living better? And uh, Mr. Lincoln said, no, 
I, I study to learn how to live after I earn a living. That, you know, that's the most important lesson any of us can learn, how to live. And, uh, and that, that is the most important job of a teacher is to teach people how to think. If we don't do that, how, you know, you're not preparing people for life. Um, and so when you teach from the same notes, you teach the same thing over and over again, there's no discussion, there's no growth, there's no interchange or exchange with the students where they learn how to think. There's you know, no, no doubt, Ray, that teaching someone how to think is going to win in terms of what you teach someone by a thousand to one. If I teach you, Jesus talked about this in terms of teaching someone to fish, right? or getting the fish for them, right? I can, I can fish for you, or I can teach you to fish, and you can do much better. As a teacher, I want to teach them a method of thinking for themselves. If I teach them how to do a problem, they can do that problem. But if I teach them how to look at a problem and analyze it, then they can do any problem. And if you're doing the same thing, if you're doing the same problem, if you're teaching the same way for years, it gets stagnant. And, but it's easier. Um, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but it is really easy to teach the same thing over and over again. You don't have to reinvent it. You don't even have to hardly look at your notes. You just show up on the day and teach. And I think that's unfortunate. I think all of us as teachers have a duty to keep ourselves fresh, to keep the, the, the best thing for those students in our head every time we go in and not just what we've done before. Why would you want to have, why would you want to keep it fresh? Why would you want to have an exchange, a conversation with the students? Is it not that first qualification that, that St. Paul listed, which is love from a pure heart? I mean, it would seem to me, uh, just me, but if you're standing up in the front of a classroom and you're just reading from notes, you're more concerned about what you are doing. And your, 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 your focus, your vision doesn't really go much farther than you. Correct. You're just trying to, you know, check off a box, you know, uh, get the material out. Whereas if you're really inter interested in having an exchange with the students, if you're really interested in, in whether the students are picking up the material, whether they're, you know, you're asking questions or, and, you know, maybe they, you know, they, they don't pick up the material and then you have to ask some questions to help them, you know, uh, with what they're missing or, you know, they don't agree with the material and, you know, you want to help them, you know, think about the material. You know, why would you do that? Why would you go through all the effort? Why not just get up there and, and, and verbalize, you know, the points you want to get across? Why would you have to get involved in an exchange with the student? And would it not be because you're interested in the student? Well, absolutely, Ray. So absolutely correct. So the, the first thought is that when you're just talking, when you're teaching without any feedback from the students whatsoever, you may get to, if you, if you do it really well and you're skilled, I think you'll get to about two-thirds of the students. They'll pick up what you're saying, but there's a third that don't. And you don't know what it is that they have a problem with it. It could be that they didn't quite hear you right. It could be it's a bad day. It could be a thousand things, but a third of your students are not picking it up. When you ask them, and question them and say, how would you do this? Or how would you do that? Or did you understand? You begin to know if they know the material or not. And you go to them and you teach them directly. You help them directly. You do 
um, problems together as a class and you see how everyone's doing and you help them through when they're not understanding. And I have, for myself as a teacher, I have administrators that are wonderful. That's exactly what they want us to do. They want us to make sure that we are doing enough, that we are understanding if they know what we are teaching and to try to make sure that that's the case and to try to make sure to bring everyone along. And I, I think I could sum all of this up in a phrase I've used once before, but that is that my job as a teacher at St. Dominic High School is to teach people who Jesus Christ is. And if they just happen to learn a little physics or chemistry or engineering along the way, that would be a wonderful thing. But it is our duty to teach them who Jesus is. And if you're doing that, Jesus is reaching out to everyone. He's not reaching out to two-thirds. He's not reaching out to the best students. Jesus Christ is reaching to every one of us with all his love and all his heart, which is amazing because he's God, but he wants every one of us. And we can't leave folks behind. We can't drop folks off. We have to love all. And that's, that's why St. Paul talks about him. That's why he brings these things up is Jesus is love. He is God. He is love. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to, uh, to bring us along. Yeah, so... Um I, you know, I think, I mean, I think that's a mark of, I think, I think what you're saying, you know, is, is exactly what, you know, we were alluding to that, you know, if you want to bring Christ to people, you're concerned about the person. Um, it's, it's the mark of any good parent. It's the mark of any good friend. It's the mark of any good person. If you have concern and compassion for the other person with whom you're dealing in whatever capacity it happens to be. And if you don't care about the other person, they're going to know that. I think, you know, people who think, you know, this is a really good teacher, it's, it's a teacher who cares. And oftentimes it's the teachers that push a student, you know, harder and, and farther than the student wants to go. Why would you do that? Because you care. Same thing why, why a parent will discipline a child, because he cares. So anyways, um, all right, so teaching, you know, with a pure heart, one of the things, compassion for all your students. Um, some of the marks of, of being a good teacher. Well, we're talking all about uh, about this, but you know why are we talking all about this? Well, there's a recent news story that came out. As like I said, a, a school in Missouri, and the story there at this this private school is um, that there was a uh, a student who was accused, a female student, a white female uh, senior student at this high school, who was accused of standing up in a class, pointing her finger, and yelling, black lives do not matter. That's, I mean, that, that's, that, that is a horrific statement. Black lives, you know, to say that any life, not you know, any life, one single life of any person anywhere, of any, you know, background, that life doesn't matter. Um, you know, if you do believe in Christ, if you believe in a God, if you, if you even if you believe, if you don't believe in God, but you know, you know, have a human heart. I mean, that's that's a horrific statement. Um, when we we in this program, Ray, spend a lot of time talking about exactly those things that an unborn child, who is alive oh, sure. to us, sure matters. Sure, that black lives matter. That every I mean, life matters. If you could say a single life doesn't matter, that's horrific. If you say a whole bunch of lives of any particular group do not matter how much work that's 
that's horrific multiplied by how many how many people are in the group. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's it's terrible. It's, it's a tragic statement, you know, on steroids. All right. So that's the that was the accusation. Well, what happened after that to the student? Well, um, she was subject. A lot of people, a lot of other students, got very angry at her, and uh, they threatened her um, with a lot of violence. Matter of fact, three days after this class in which this alleged statement took place, her her home was vandalized. Um, there were threats from other students against her, and I quote, I'm going to throw hands on this bleep. The student was referred to, I'm not going to repeat the word, the student uh, was referred to well, uh, with, a, you know, with a vulgar word, and so we're just going to say bleep. I'm going to throw hands on this bleep. That bleep needs to get punched in the face. She needs to be beaten up. I am sick of that racist bleep. We need to end her. Um, maybe that doesn't mean kill her, but the implication, I think the first implication, the first inference that anybody would draw would mean, well, if you're going to end a person, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking about killing the person. That's the implication. The, so supposing you're an 18-year-old kid and these things are said about you where, you know, at that stage in your life, peer pressure being accepted by, you know, others is huge. And people are threatening to kill you? Other students threatening to kill you? How would it be like to go to school? You know, because you get up in the morning, get on the bus, whatever, you know, and go to where you know other students have those feelings about you? Pretty tough. Almost impossible. So what would the school do about it? If the school knew that was going on, what would the school do about it? Um, well, so um, three days after this alleged classroom incident happened, there was a meeting in the principal's office with the, uh, uh, with the student who allegedly made the statement, the accuser, uh, and uh, the teacher in the classroom, the teacher, the principal, and uh, at least, I don't know who else, but at least those two students. Um, at that meeting, this is according to a, a published article, um, which is uh, basically um, repeating allegations made in a lawsuit. Uh, this has now become the subject of a lawsuit filed in court. And uh, so these allegations are not yet proven, uh, but uh, at least they were uh, listed in a lawsuit, and any attorney who files a lawsuit has an ethical duty not to make allegations that, you know, he believes are untrue. You have to at least believe they're true. Uh, sometimes, you know, obviously you take, you take the word of your client, uh, but, uh, but you have to believe that they're true. And we should mention at this point something else that's important. And uh, the attorney who filed the lawsuit uh, would have the benefit of this, which is, there was a video of this class in which this incident took place. And according to the lawsuit, that video shows the student said nothing of the kind. It would, in fact, be a little, I mean, I think it's a little suspect that any student would stand up in a class and, and yell that it's possible. Um, 
Well, for a student to yeah, stand up and yell, black lives do not matter. You could believe that, other, that somebody might think that, but to stand up and yell that in a class where some of your other students are black, you know, I mean, you would kind of be suspicious that someone would actually have the gall to, you know, say something like that. Even if they thought it, you think, well, they wouldn't even say it. Um, but, I mean, thinking it would be bad enough, as we've already said. Um, but it wasn't true. And uh, apparently the video evidence shows it. Wow. So now if the video evidence shows it, and three days later there's a meeting with the students, the students, and the principal and the teacher, what would you expect would happen? Um, Did everybody know there, this video was available or was taken? According to the lawsuit, yeah, they knew this was a lie. They knew it was a lie. As a matter of fact, the accuser during this class first denied making the claim. She denied it. No, I, didn't, I didn't make this accusation. I didn't say this. And then admitted that she did make the accusation against the student. So if this is true, then she's inconsistent. Um, first denying making the accusation. I mean, when you're pressured, you know, uh, and you're initially put on the spot, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of times, uh, you know, when you're confronted with something you're not expecting, um, you're not going to be ready, you know, you're not going to be ready for it. And, uh, you know, your initial reaction might not be to simply lie about it. I don't know. I mean, you come to your own conclusions, but at least she was inconsistent about this. And, they're, and, and they're you don't kids. even need, and you don't even need to judge the credibility of the accuser because you do have, and if this is true, what the, what the videotape shows, you have the videotape. Anyways, um, you know, uh, so that's that was some of what happened at that initial uh, uh, meeting. Um, the um, uh, excuse me, the teacher um, then, um, I guess, made a, a statement in the, in the meeting where there was a discussion about a sticker that the student had, uh, the accused student had on her laptop. Apparently, it was a thin blue line flag. Uh, a, a symbol for um, the police. Support. Uh, support for the police. Support for the police. And, you know, if, I mean, there's a lot of debate in our country about whether or not all lives matter. And if you say, I mean, why shouldn't you be able to say, why should you not be able to say blue lives matter, the lives of the police matter? Can you, if you want to complain about discrimination, discrimination by definition is, you know, taking all people in a certain group and having a certain idea about them, all of them. You're just member. You're because you're members of a group. Boom. Then we believe this about about you. It could be you're a member of the group, but but you're not guilty of you know. I mean, lots of you know. In any group, there are all kinds of people. How can you paint with a broad brush? That is, in fact, the definition of discrimination. So could there not be good cops? Of course, there have. To, I mean. Not, you can't say all cops are bad. I uh, would I would guess that the vast majority are good. of officers are very good. They're willing right? to lay their lives on the line. You you bet. And there's there's 
a few bad apples in, in every barrel. Uh, there's a, a few that miss, but I've got to guess that the vast majority of officers are uh, trying to help us in almost everything they do. So anyway, so she had the, that sticker, and apparently that was the genesis for all of this. Um, anyways, the teacher asked or agreed that the sticker was racist um, and asked the accuser if she would be, feel more comfortable if the accused student would remove it. Um, so you're then putting the choice into the hands of another student as to, you know, whether or not um, the actions of the accused student could be controlled. I mean, you're giving control over one student to another student. That, if you have love for all, that in and of itself seems to be tipping the balance uh, too far in the wrong direction. Uh, so then uh, what else? There was another meeting about 10 days later. Uh, and at that meeting, again with the principal, and at that meeting, the accused student was not allowed to bring her cell phone to the, uh, to the meeting. They didn't want her, presumably, to record what, what might have been said. Um, the principal, apparently, according to the lawsuit, falsely claimed she had no idea there was any physical threat to the accused, even though, uh, according to the lawsuit, she, she knew for a fact that there were physical threats, physical threats, against the accused student. Um, she requested repeatedly to be able to call her parents. All those requests were refused. There was a, another teacher in the meeting who led the meeting, and uh, according to the lawsuit, in a loud and angry manner, making, quote, karate-chopping motions, close quote, while demanding that the accused student admit that her witnesses were lying. Um, wanted to have the student admit that her dad was putting her up to this um, and uh, just you know, getting her to admit things that she didn't agree were true. Um, according to the lawsuit, they were trying to get her to lie. So even though you've got a videotape showing that the accuser was lying, you are now trying to get the accused to lie. Um, you know, it's, and, and if that's the case, what are the teachers teaching the students? You know, there's another, there's a dean at, the, at this meeting, uh, the second meeting, and he apparently lied, according to the lawsuit, about not taking notes of the meeting, even though he did take notes, uh, but they were very selective and excluded the intimidating remarks uh, that were said at the meeting. So, You've got another administration uh, member, um, school administration member, apparently, according to the lawsuit, lying. So what are we teaching uh, people? That letter from St. Paul said, if you think you're a guide for the blind and a teacher for those in darkness, you who teach another, are you failing to teach yourself? If, in fact, these things are true, that these that these school administrators, the principal lying that she didn't know that there were, there were threats against the student, and, you know, these other, you know, all of these, what are we teaching the students? Well, we're teaching them not to do the right things, for, for sure. You, the truth is absolutely paramount. Um, and 
don't get me wrong. I, uh, I've spun a few tales and done those things and, and make the realization that lying, in fact, God went so far as to make it a commandment, is absolutely wrong. And that is not what you want to teach. If you, if you make a mistake, um, it's worthwhile to let people know, I made a mistake. I, uh, I said that wrong. I said that improperly. Right, and and that's what you want to teach—that the truth should be told and and it should come out. Uh, that's that's the reality of the situation, and that's what God wants. Uh, other things, according to the lawsuit, a teacher is apparently told the accused she should quote expect to be treated like a racist close quote. So, if you are aware that there are threats being made against one of your students, and you're basically saying that's your tough. Tough cookies for you. you. You know, you deserve this. I mean, where's the love from a pure heart? Where's the love from a pure heart there? Especially if they knew this was a lie. Um, the principle, uh, again, according to the law, so I'm going to say that every time. According to the law, so we don't know that these things are absolutely true. Uh, but anyways, according to the lawsuit, uh, the principal of the school said, quote, Everyone who is right white is a racist, close quote. Which, by the definition we used for discrimination before, is discrimination. Um, again, this, the, at the second meeting, um, 10 days after the first, a dean pressured the accused into declaring she felt safe at school. So you've got a discussion at this meeting where they're trying, the kid to, trying to get the kid to admit you feel safe at school. Obviously, she didn't feel safe at school. And if you have any kind of love from a pure heart, wouldn't you be concerned, especially with, especially if, um, you know, 10 or 7 days earlier, I don't, I don't know the timeline, I don't have the timeline exactly here, but the student's home was vandalized. Um, you know, and, uh, and they apparently demanded that the accused admit to being a racist, quote, by virtue of being a Caucasian. Is this what we want? What would be, you know, if you're in the school administration, what would a proper approach be? What would a good teacher do in response? Would it not be to take the accuser and the accused and to try to make peace between these two people? Try to, you know, find out what the truth is. Try to, you know, um, ameliorate any hostility that was there. Would it not be to try to make good out of, you know, a bad situation? You know, the, um, uh, I referred to Bishop Sheen before, and he talked about the greatest teacher of all time. We heard that, we heard that, we heard that word a lot these days, goat. People now abbreviate that to Goat. People talk about Tom Brady and you know as the greatest of all time in terms of quarterbacks. Who's the goat among teachers? And he came, according to Bishop Sheen, it was St. Thomas Aquinas. And of course, he was a great scholar, great teacher. But I think even Bishop Sheen would agree with me that that term I think uh, could better be applied to Christ. Of course, his title he was referred to often in the scriptures that tell us that he was referred to often as. Rabbi, meaning teacher. And what did Christ teach? Well, probably, well, if you go to chapter 5 of Matthew, it talks about Christ going up on a mountain 
And then he began to teach. And what did he say? He said things like, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. He said, whoever breaks one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do so uh, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever teaches the commandment will be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What are one of these commandments? Uh, excuse me, is not one of the, how about the Ten Commandments? Is not one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not bear false witness? I think that's eight. <laughs> very, very good. Um, um, you know, again, at this very same time as he's giving this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, whoever is angry will be liable to judgment. Whoever says you fool will be liable to punishment. Is that, what's not, is that not what's going on here? You've got people rising up in anger, accusing other students, uh, another student of, of doing so. You've got a lot of anger involved here. You know, we need to throw hands on this bleep. We need to, there's anger in all of this. We need to end her. A lot of anger. Are there any peacemakers in this situation so far? So far. Hopefully there will be. Um, you know, you have to admit that you're wrong about this. You have to admit you're a racist. You are a fool. If you don't think so, admit this. Whoever says you fool will be liable to punishment. How can we say you fool? How do we know? How do we pride ourselves in having such superior knowledge that we can judge others? Um, you know, um, I, I like quoting Bishop Sheen. I'm, gonna, I'm quoting him a lot during this program, but... You know, he says, uh, he said, um, if you have pride in your knowledge, this is interesting, and you might appreciate this, Bob. He says, you have lost the scientific method. You you know, nodding on radio isn't, isn't good enough, Bob. You have to say, you have to say that. Well, well, <laughs> he's he's standing over here nodding, yes, yes. Well, well it's, it, it's, it seems obvious to me, so, so just to <laughs> nod. But the scientific method is a wonderful thing that we teach all science students. And the basic thing that you come out with is that if you have a concept, when you put it together and you put the hypothesis together, you let the data tell you whether you're correct or not, rather than you telling the data whether it's correct And or you not. keep yourself open to where the data might lead. Right. You take it there. And then in the end, the last step is to take your theory to the most challenging person you can find that dislikes you, that would like to discredit you to every way that they can and give them that data and let them take a look at it so that you are truly finding out whether it's credible or not. Exactly, yeah. You, you don't want to own it and say, I own this, You it's don't right. have pride in your knowledge that I know the answer already. You bet. That's, it. That's the whole idea behind the scientific method is to, is to be open to other facts and criticism that would truly show whether the data really does prove your hypothesis or not. And you want to be open in that way. That's, that's what we have to do as scientists. If we're not, we're lying about it. We're covering it up. We're, you know, doing horrible things. And if you make karate chopping motions and say, admit, 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 admit you're racist, admit you're racist because you're white, admit, and I mean, <laughs> then you know that person is a racist. You have judged that person already. You have pride that... 
that you know. I mean, you have such assurance. St. Paul says in that reading, you know, the pe- these people who, uh, uh, who assert what they know with such assurance. You are a certain. You, are, you have such assurance that this person is a racist, and they just need to admit it. I mean, there's two. There's not nearly enough humility in that. Well, Ray, one of the one of the things that's that's a driver here, and I think that's that's one of the great difficulties is folks that are in administration and teaching don't wish to teach that Black lives don't matter. They wish to teach that every life matters. They wish to show that it doesn't make any difference whether you're yellow or red or black or white. It shouldn't make any difference. All are equal and all come and all deserve an education, and they all deserve our absolute best. And so they're going over the top in terms of one area and allowing themselves to lie, in allowing themselves to badger, allowing themselves to do things that they really think are wrong, they know in their heart is wrong, to try to prove that they are over the top that they're trying to bring others in and they're going to push others out. And my goodness, if you look at the Beatitudes, the things you just quoted, there's no discrimination there of anyone. It is total and utter complete love. And it is, it is the thing we're taught as deacons. After the commandments, there's a set of commandments that we are to follow. But once we follow those and we begin to understand that the Beatitudes are what we should do next to take it to the next level to get to know God. It is a wonderful set, a a wonderful set of teachings from Christ himself as to how we should be. And we've missed that. We're so eager, right, to get what it is that we want. And it's a good thing to help everyone out of discrimination and out of horrible treatment is a wonderful thing to try to do. But to then take others down because of that? It's It's easy to lose sight of these principles in you know, as you say, your exuberance to try to deal with, um, you know, racial injustice. It's easy to do that, especially when to preach peacemaking will be hard. You're going to be called on the carpet. People will not like it. To stand up for the truth can be very difficult. Look what they did to Christ. They did not like what he had to say. Um, And he paid the ultimate price. I mean, there was, ultimate, there, was, there was horrific violence done to him. It weren't just threats. There was horrific violence actually done to him. You know, but what, but what are these things he taught? I mean, these teachings continue with this, this, this same Sermon on the Mount. Someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other. Someone presses you to go into service with them for one mile, go for two. If someone says, you know, uh, give me your tunic, hand him your cloak as well. If someone says, you know, love your friends, I say, love your enemies. Um, and why, why does he say all this? He says this, quote, that you may be children of your heavenly Father, for he makes his sun rise on the bad and the good and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. It's what you were talking about, Bob. We're all creatures of God, and we need—and if— and we have to remember, even those people that we think are doing wrong. Um, you know, there's a student who was accused of something here, and even if the verbal insult in class was something she did not say, 
you know, I mean, okay, people, she has a, she does have a sticker on her computer. And a lot of people think, well, that's discriminatory. Of course, that's a conclusion. If you say some lives matter, cops, that's not saying other lives don't. Um, logically, that just doesn't follow. You are assuming something that's simply not there. You, you know, I mean, it may be that a person has racist thoughts, but you don't know that. Um, and so logically, you can't assume that. Uh, so you may think that this person's a bad person, but even if you, and, and may be completely wrong, but even if you think that the person is a bad person, and even if they are a bad person, this is what the meaning of the Beatitudes are, even if they are a bad person, so what? They were, if you remember, they were created of God. Then if you treat them with kindness, then you will be, quote, children of your heavenly Father. What is the example of Christ from the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. The people who were killing him, he said, forgive them. Even if it's difficult, we have to try to live up to the Beatitudes. We have to try to be peacemakers. We have to try to be fair to everybody. You know, we have to try not to judge other people. Um, we have to try to promote peace with a people. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the, as this goes on, it's the Beatitudes, if I, if I remember right, Jesus actually says when he talks about those that are your enemies, he, he basically states that even they take care of themselves. Even horrible people watch out for each other. That, that's what thieves do. They take care of one another. We're no better than the thieves. What you have to do is reach past yourself to others, those that you disagree with, those that you don't like, and you have to take care of them as well. He actually says you want to pour heaping coals on your enemy's head, feed them, clothe them, love them, take care of them, that that's what our job is to do, right? It's God's job to bring justice. It's our job to take care of everyone. Because these judgments that we make, they're, they're snapshots in time. You bet. God doesn't see as we see. God sees the whole life of a person, what they are, what they've been, what they may become. How do we know who is a bad person? How do you define a bad person? You may have a person who does bad things, but supposing tomorrow they mend their ways. Supposing they ask for forgiveness. Supposing, you know, they see the light. Well, then tomorrow they could be a good person. So, isn't, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that what we're looking to do? But what is the person? Is the person, the person, the entire person, the actions they did on the day before? Or is the person the good that they did on the next day? How do you define the person? Is it not, isn't that a person... Uh, someone who's defined by their actions over their entire life, how do you know what they're going to do tomorrow? How, do you be, how are you able to say that's a bad person as if it's a final judgment and there's no hope for that person to get better? That's, I think, what Christ is saying. If somebody is, is, does evil to you, you do good to them because, you know, uh, even if, you know, you, you think they're bad, they could be redeemed, um, and that's why it's not your judgment to make, but it's up to God, because um, he's got the patience. He'll wait. He'll see. 
So anyways, uh, but this is not just simply an isolated incident, by the way. So we've got a similar thing going out. Uh, there's a school in Nevada. Matter of fact, that's also the subject of a lawsuit. These, there were two lawsuits, and they're filed like one day apart. And the lawsuit in Nevada, the people thought that it was the first of its kind in the country. So if, you know, if this is the first of its kind in the country, these two lawsuits filed one day apart, that kind of gives us a clue to like where our country is, is heading. You know, we said, hey, if St. Paul were alive today, what would he want to tell America? We're looking at what's going on in our country, what would he see? Well, you got two lawsuits filed a day apart. This is what is coming in our country. These are the type, these lawsuits are complaining about things that are taking place in our country today, and people are starting to take notice. So, what is this one involved? This one involves a biracial student. His mother is black, his father is white. And uh, he is being called, um, well, I, I guess racist as well, um, in some sense. So he's a, he's a student at um, uh, a private school, a charter school. Uh, and uh, the lawsuit that was filed has 150 pages of exhibits where they were, there was a, a graduation requirement, 150 pages of exhibits from a course called Sociology of Change, which is a graduation requirement. You can't opt out of this course. You have to take this course, Sociology of Change. And what were all these 150 pages of uh, activities supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to teach you, um, you know, teach you about, I guess, about racial injustice. But there's a problem with this because according to um, the mother, the curriculum required students to unlearn and fight back against religious and family practices. Um, so we're not necessarily in the business of teaching knowledge now. We're teaching things that, even if they're inconsistent with your religion, Judeo-Christian principles, you have to conform. And if not, you're going to be subjected to discipline, as this kid was. Um, the lawsuit uh, involved a host of different constitutional violations, including compelled speech, viewpoint discrimination, retaliation, invasion of privacy, denial of equal protection of the law, violations of the free, of freedom of religion, and uh, discrimination on the basis of color, race, religion, and gender. I mean, this is, this, is the kind of, this is absolutely the kind of discrimination that is illegal in this country, and yet it's not being done by a student. According to the lawsuit, it's being done by the school. Um, as I said, um, the mother, who was black, has two uh, children at the school, and she knew something was wrong uh, with what her kids were being taught, but then wasn't quite sure. And then she happened to view one of these virtual online sessions um, and, and to sit in on one of these classes that you know, her kids were sitting in on. And she was appalled. Uh, the curriculum, and again, similar to the school in Missouri that we were talking about, that, all, that people of all... All people of a certain group um, can be judged. All whites are racist. Um, a discriminatory idea. Uh, the curriculum there implied that this child, this kid's white father, who died when his son was too young to know him, likely physically abused his black mother. He didn't know his father, didn't know whether it was true or not, 
but he was being taught to believe that because his father was white, he probably physically abused his black mother. Um, you know, and he didn't want to agree to these things. And uh, good, good for him. He didn't want to agree to these things, and uh, he was pressured to agree to these things. Um, he was, you know, uh, put into these interrogation sessions, uh, singled out. Um, the teacher apparently, in one, in, you know, referred to her class as my wonderful social justice warriors. You have a teacher now who looks at the students that she's teaching as social justice warriors. What kind of a, of a viewpoint is that? That's a viewpoint where you have to conform with her idea of social justice. And if you're not, then, you know, then, you know, you're obviously, uh, you know, you're obviously, well, now you're a bad person. Um, you know, and th- he was presented with, according to, this, according to this lawsuit, a psychologically abusive dilemma. Participate in the exercise in violation of his conscience and be branded with a pejorative level, a label or conscientiously refrain from participation and suffer isolation from his classmates and be maligned. And be maligned. This, and this is similar. This is the same thing that was going on in the school here in Missouri. You have to conform. You have to admit um, that you're a racist, that your parents are racist. You have to admit to being a bad person. And if you don't, you will suffer the consequences. Um, that's, you know... Um, you know, at one point, I guess the teacher cut off class discussion where this particular student uh, wanted to engage critically with the materials. Uh, the teacher then penalized the student for not completed graded identity confession assignments. He eventually was awarded a D minus for the class by the principal of the school in, in violation of the school's own handbook which explicitly bans D grades. That's interesting. But anyways, it bans D grades because it could affect college admissions. This particular student was told that he would be given a C- minus if he completed the minimum of the work, if he conforms. Um, the black mother warned the school board chair that the teacher was blatantly justifying racism against white people. The black mother is accusing the school of blatantly justifying racism against white people. She's defending white people. Because why? Because she's not just a person of a class, right? All black people are supposed to hate all white people. Is that what we're supposed to believe? Uh, you know, anyways, um, right now he's, he's suffering because this D minus grade is going to potentially disqualify him from the colleges that he wants to go to. Um, you know, they've suspended, they've actually suspended this student. And uh, he is in therapy. Uh, his mother has suffered, according to the lawsuit, severe emotional distress, heart palpitations, weight gain, and insomnia. Um, this is what we're doing to people. Now, if, you know, I mean, if... It's, it's, it's hard to imagine that this is actually happening in our schools today. And it just seems like what's going on here is just a lack of love. That was St. Paul's first criteria for being a good teacher. 
You have to have love from a pure heart. Why do you, you know, this is about, I mean, this looks like it's all about attacking children. If they don't agree with what we say, then we will pressure them. We will put them into interrogation sessions where they can't call their parents and they can't have their cell phone. I mean, this is, uh, this is police state type tactics in schools. Do we have, we haven't, we have a lot of care for certain students. What about for the students that are being accused? Um, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's just, it, it's really a lack of love. There's instant judgment that's going on. Um, and it would seem that it would certainly be better if we just simply tried to live closer to the Beatitudes, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult to resist, you know, trying to, you know, to, trying to resist, you know, our feelings of hostility against children or students we think are racist, you know, what would Christ do? Would he not approach everybody with love? And I guess that's the message for this, the message that we need to take away from this. Um, you know, is, is, is simply this idea that, you know, we need to step back from all of this um, rush to activity, this, this, this rush to action, where, you know, because we think we're doing the right thing, we're forcing other kids into the point where they've got, you know, physical threats, they've got emotional trauma that they're going through. This is just, there's something terribly wrong with this. Um, so anyways. Um, We've that, gone away from the truth, right? We are, are pushing, as you started out, and, and you, you did all this really well, we are pushing away from the truth, which is to love and take care of others because we want our own ideas, whatever it is we believe, to be the trump card, to be the winner, when it is love that should be the winner. Why can't we just preach the Beatitudes to everybody? to the teachers, to the students of, of one group, the students of another group, everybody, everywhere, all the time. Why not just preach the Beatitudes? Why can't we do that? Why can't we do that? I don't know. Anyways, um, well, that's, uh, that's our program for today. We hope it's been a, a little provocative, a, a little illuminating. Um, we hope you'll join us again. Until the next time, we're going to leave you with a prayer, and that prayer is going to come from Bob. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, bless us during this Lenten season. Allow us during this time to not just give things up, maybe not even just to do something extra, but instead, why don't we listen to you, listen to your word, listen to the word of your Son who was here on earth, who was made sin for us to take our sins away. Let us listen to him and know that the Beatitudes which he preached on the mountain are nothing but love. They are a beautiful sight of what you taught us and allow us to understand that and truly grab them and love them and hold on to them and realize that we are here for God's purpose, not our own, that we could be wrong, that we can make mistakes, but we bring those to you, Father, and we thank you for the opportunity that your son was here to bless us, to take care of us, and to lead us, and lead us always. We ask that we could go through Lent to have a joyful heart with you on Easter morning when that day presents itself a matter of six weeks away. 
We pray all this in the wonderful and glorious name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Till the next time, God bless. Oh,